This is our sixth Sunday in the uh, Jesus in Selfie Mode series. Uh, Jesus today, number six, uh, of the I Am statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John is likely the most powerful and the most comforting of the, of the seven. But I also know it's almost certainly the most controversial. So uh, we're today in John chapter 14. Specifically, we're going to zero in on verse 6, although we're going to cover verses 1 to 7. But here's what it says. Uh, powerful, comforting, but very controversial. I am the way, Jesus says, and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is 48 hours before Jesus will be slaughtered on the cross. Literally, Jesus makes this incredible claim about who he is just, just a couple days before he's going to be hanging on the Roman cross. Would you please stand with me if you're able, and let's read out loud the first seven verses of John chapter 14. You ready? You ready to read together? Here we go. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the I am statements that you give us in the Gospel of John. And thank you, Lord, for all of the, the I am statements that we've already examined. And uh, we just want to pause and say thank you for specifically this one found in John 14, 6. So, Lord, uh, we ask that you might come and take charge today of each of us in your church. We're asking, Lord, that uh, you might watch over these goofy lips of mine. Lord, we need your wisdom, your guidance, your insight as we dig into this passage. Give us your answers. Give us your understanding. That's what we're asking for. I just want to pause for just a moment because I know there are some here today in your church and things aren't going well. There's confusion there's anger, there's frustration, there's hurt, there's people in pain. Lord, there's folks here who are in great need, and I pray that today in your church, they might sense your love, your goodness, your grace to rain down on them. Lord, would you help us to notice the folks around us who might need a word of encouragement, who might need a hug? who might need our presence and our caring, not just today, but in the week ahead. That's what we're asking for. Help us to notice 
And Lord, I pray that even as we dig into your word, that your word might speak and bring hope and bring uh, all the good stuff that only your peace and mercy can bring us in our times of need. We welcome your Holy Spirit to come and take charge today. And all the church family at Walloon Lake said with one united voice. Amen. The setting uh, for what's going on here in John 14 is really important to understand. Uh, if you turn back, if you have your phone or your Bible, John 13, uh, we see events of what we would call the upper room, the Last Supper. Uh, we've looking at verse uh, chapter 13 and verse 30. Judas has already betrayed, left to go betray Jesus, and it says, and it was dark. It was night. It really was. That was dark and uh, a very dark episode there. Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet, and he's told them, I want you to serve like I just served you. And that still rings true for us. I, I want you to serve just like I demonstrated what it means to be a servant and wash one another's feet. Uh, in just a few hours, Jesus is going to be before the Jewish leaders, before the Sanhedrin. He'll appear before Pilate, and then he'll be beaten and scourged and then crucified on a Roman cross. Now, here's, here's the point that you need to get here, okay? Jesus has been telling the 11 remaining disciples many times that he's going to leave them, that he's going to die, but it seems that they really didn't understand. It seems like now, after they see their, uh, their brother Judas leave, and they know he's going to go betray Jesus, it's like now they get it. He is going to die, he is going to leave us, and now they're deeply troubled. And now they're really upset to the core of their being. That's the setting for chapter 14. Now look at verse 1, chapter 14, verse 1. These are the words of comfort that Jesus brings to his disciples when, when they finally get it. He's leaving. He really is going to die. He says this, verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. You believe in God. You, you trust in the Father. It's time now, men. Believe and trust in me as well. Uh, it's like Jesus is looking at his friends and he's saying, think about all that we've been through, even just these past few weeks. You can believe in me. You can trust in me. If you go back just a couple chapters, this would have happened maybe a week or two earlier in chapter 11 and verse 43. Jesus would be saying, you know what? Do you remember when I said to my friend Lazarus, come out? And Lazarus stinking, rotting corpse of a man, dead four days, comes walking out of that tomb like a mummy wrapped up in linen, it says. Remember that, man, what you've been through with me. You just saw uh, a couple of days ago on Sunday, we call it Palm Sunday, chapter 12, 12 and 13, the crowds go crazy. Jesus rides in on a donkey, and they're waving palm branches. Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
He is the king of Israel. Remember, that was me. Trust in me. He could go back further. Don't you remember? We were out on the Sea of Galilee, guys, and the storm was raging, and you thought you were going to die. Do you remember what happened? I spoke to the storm, and instantly the storm ceased. <laughs> Don't you remember that? Don't you remember when there were 20,000 hungry people and we didn't have any food? And you found a happy meal of a little boy and we took the happy meal and fed 20,000 people. And everybody ate till they were full and we had lots of leftovers. Remember, you could trust me. Remember all that you've seen and experienced with me. That's what Jesus is saying. He says, I know you're afraid. I know you're fearful of what's coming. It's time to trust. It's time to believe. It's time to rely on me and my plan. And that's the same thing he's saying to us today. Key point. It's not if our hearts will be troubled. What is it? It's when your heart is troubled, and I suspect this applies to some of us here today, when our hearts are troubled, Trust in God, trust in Jesus Christ. That's where faith is required, you understand? If everything was always wonderful, you don't need any faith. It's when you're afraid, when you're anxious, when you're overwhelmed. That's when you need to trust in Jesus, believe and rely on Him and His perfect plan. He's never failed us yet. And, and some people say, well, I don't like that song. The idea here, he's never failed us yet, and guess what, you ready? And he never will. <laughs> he never will. He hasn't ever failed us, and he never will. Next, Jesus gives them some hope. When you're anxious and troubled, uh, it's good to have some hope. And he says, this isn't the end of the line, man. I've got something in mind for you. And what I've got in mind for you is literally out of this world. Look at verse 2. Here's the hope. He says, uh, my father's house has many rooms. How many of you would rather have a mansion than a room? Can I, can I be blunt with you? The translation is better rooms. I know you all want your own mansion. But the idea isn't that I get to live in this 500-acre gated mansion and I just get to live large. That isn't the idea. The idea is Jesus has this home with lots of rooms. And the idea is, give me your eyes, we get to be with Jesus. Amen. That's the key. Not that we have this, ooh, look at all the riches. Look, I'm living like I never could on planet Earth. No, the idea is my father's house has many rooms. And Jesus is there in that house. Enjoy it. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I, I would have told you there. I'm going there to prepare a place for who? For me. Yeah, I like that. Thank you, whoever said me. Verse 3. And if I go and prepare a place for me, I'll come back. That's Jesus talking and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Jesus says, I've got your future all planned and prepared. I've got this amazing plan, and no matter what happens on planet Earth, I've got your future personally planned, prepared, and it's going to be amazing. And it's going to be awesome, 
And Jesus says, here's the key, and it's going to be with me. Do you understand? It's with Jesus. So it's not so much that I get to go and be in heaven and skip around and do whatever I want and go from one magical Disney ride to another. The idea is, no, you get to go be with a person. The one you love today, he's got this place, and you get to enjoy him for all of eternity. So take comfort, verse 2, don't be troubled, because no matter what happens, if you know Jesus personally, are you ready? I got news. We win. <laughs> Isn't that good? We're on the winning team. He's got our future planned, our future prepared, and it's going to be forever with Jesus. And I just need to say this. If you're not excited about Jesus, then heaven's going to be really, really long. You understand? If you don't know Jesus and you aren't walking with Jesus now, why on earth would I be excited about living and being near somebody in the same house with him when I don't even know him? You understand the uh, we are called to get to know Jesus, and then when you know him and you love him and you walk with him daily, then, then you're excited. Amen. I'm passionate about being with him for all of eternity. And I'm afraid some of us aren't all that excited about heaven because we're not really all that excited about Jesus because we really don't know him that well. Got my fire insurance, got my ticket to heaven. Let me say it strong. It's all about knowing Jesus. Today, being a follower. And eternity is going to be all about knowing Jesus as well. Okay, uh, verse 4. I love this guy. Some, he gets a bad reputation. He's just honest. Because it even says, he says what everybody else is thinking. Jesus says, you know the way to the place where I'm going, right boys? You know where I'm going. And Thomas, um, sometimes called the doubting one, I would call him the honest one, uh, Thomas says, um, I'm not going to pretend with you, Jesus. Verse 5, Lord, we don't really know where you're going, <laughs> so how can we know the way? Thomas just says, you know, where, where are these rooms, Jesus? Uh, it sounds like a fancy place. Where exactly are you going? We're kind of confused. And he speaks for the group, it says. Uh, and when exactly are you coming for us? You got a date for that? We'll get it on our calendars. And what are the directions? Is it on Google Maps? What, where am I going to go, Jesus? He, he's just honest. He doesn't really understand what Jesus is talking about. And I'm glad. Because in answering Thomas's honest confusion, we have one of the most powerful verses in all of the Bible. But in answering Thomas's confusion, we also get one of the most controversial verses in all of the Bible. So Thomas says, I don't know where you're going. I don't understand. I don't know when it's going to happen. I'm not exactly sure how to get there. And here's what Jesus says in response to Thomas. Jesus answered Thomas, I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We need to know the way because we all get easily lost. We need to know the way because it's easy. We're, we're born lost and we need to find the way. We need to know the truth 
Because we live in a world filled with deceptions and distortions and lies. We, it makes you cry, I'm telling you. Uh, we need to know the life because we're all dying. We need to know the life because the one certainty in life is that we're all going to die. Unless the Lord returns for us, we all share that in common. We're going to die. This verse declares Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, brings salvation and he alone brings salvation. He's the way to the Father and eternal life. Give me your eyes. Salvation comes from not good works, not from good karma. Salvation only uniquely comes through Jesus Christ. That's what verse 6 says. Amen. Very clearly, very strongly. Now, I want to quickly break those three points down before we get into the last part, which is the most controversial. Okay? So, Jesus is the way. If you're taking notes, here we go. He's the road, He's the door. Jesus is the only ladder that leads home. And that's really how we should kind of view heaven. It's going home to be with Jesus. We get promoted to go be with Jesus. And he's the one that built the bridge over the canyon or the chasm of death and eternal suffering. Jesus built the bridge. And he's the one that we get to go be face to face with for all of eternity. Secondly, it says Jesus is the truth. Uh, Jesus is the source and the giver of everything that's true. Jesus inspired and gave us a book called what? There you go. You're awake with me. This is good. Uh, and this is the standard to measure what is true from what is false. So he even gave us the standard of what is true versus what is a lie or a deception. Here's what Jesus says. I'm the truth, and I'm going to give you truth to get you home so you can be with me. That's the idea. I'm the way. I'm the truth. Jesus is the, what's the last part? Jesus is the life. He's telling us, uh, my deliverance is not economic. My deliverance for you is not political. My deliverance for you is not environmental. My, my deliverance for you is not anything to do with, with school and college. Jesus says, I offer you new spiritual life, which has implications for the future and for the present. Track with me now. You say yes to Jesus I believe I receive you as Savior and Lord. Does the Lord instantly rapture you to be with him? Is that how it works? How many of you say, I think I'd like that, okay? Uh, but that's not how it works. So therefore, being the life has implications for today. Otherwise, Jesus would just suck us right out of this earth and we'd go be with him when we say yes to him by faith. But no, he says, you know what? That's not what I have in mind. I want you to live the life today, present tense. I'm going to fill you up with my Holy Spirit, and then you can make a difference while you're still alive on earth. Okay? Oh, and by the way, it makes a difference today, but verse 3, and then I'm going to come back and get you so you can be with my aunt where I am in the future, face-to-face, -face, with Jesus, 
the source of the life that we're given. Okay, verse 6. Last part. This is the most controversial. Jesus says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. Most people say, okay, uh, a little strong, but we'll put up with that. But here's where it gets uh, interesting. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus. Now, right there is where the anger begins because Jesus slams the door on all other waves of salvation. Okay? He's saying very clearly there's only one bridge that spans from planet Earth, this world that we live on, only one bridge is paved to getting us home to be with Jesus. And that's the bridge that Jesus says, I'm, I'm the bridge builder. No one gets to fight. You, you don't get to eternal life except you cross over the bridge that I paved. And how did he pave that? Through his shed blood on the cross and through his resurrection from the dead early Sunday morning. What's the bridge? It's what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross, shedding his blood, taking our place in the grave and arising from the dead. That's the bridge that Jesus is talking about. Remove Jesus from history, no redemptive truth, no everlasting life, no bridge to Father, no bridge to heaven and eternal life. Now, let's just say, for those of us who know Jesus, that sounds pretty good, okay? For those of us who have a relationship with Christ, those are comforting, caring, encouraging words. But this is what we need to acknowledge. But in today's multicultural, inclusive, politically correct environment, those are fighting words. Are they not? These are words, these are, verse 6, last part, are some of the most rejected and ridiculed statements, verses in all of the Bible. Maybe this is number one, likely is. They would say this is exclusive, this is narrow, this is arrogant. The most unforgiving sin in the world today, in our culture, is the sin of being intolerant of other people's beliefs. You can do all sorts of crazy, foolish things, but that's like number one. If you are intolerant of what other people believe, that's the worst. So let's go a little further. So are you saying, Pastor Jeff, that over half the world's population isn't ever going to go home and be with Jesus because they believe in another bridge? Because they believe in another way to heaven? Is that what you're saying, Pastor Jeff? And here's my response. You ready? You can quote me. I'm quoting Andy Stanley, but you can quote me. Anybody who can predict their own death, burial, resurrection, and then pull it off, that's somebody I believe. (laughs) That's somebody whose words I take and trust and rely on. Anybody who can predict their own death, burial, resurrection, and then make it happen, and it happens just as he predicted, that's somebody I'm going to follow. 
And when they say something, even hard stuff, I'm going to say, you know what, Jesus, you said it. It's clear. If you are that kind of a God that you can pull off your death, burial, resurrection, I'm going to believe whatever you say. Whatever, whatever is clear, I'm in on that. The inclusive mantra today is this. All religions are equally true. All religions lead to heaven. You've probably heard some version of that. that that's what you hear constantly in our culture today. All religions equally true. All religions lead to heaven. Track with me, okay? Give you a little bit of uh, some smart guys here. This, this comes from several different places. Um, that is a claim. All religions lead to heaven. All religions are equally true. There is no major religion that would agree with that statement. That's, that's something that people who are trying to be politically correct say, but there is no religion that would make that claim. Uh, Muslims claim radical exclusivity to the Quran. Muslims say, no, no, it's only through Allah, it's only through the Prophet Muhammad, that is the only way. So they wouldn't say all religions are equal, no way. Uh, Buddhism, which is exalted for its inclusiveness, actually insists on the authority of Vedas, V-E-D-A-S, and the caste system. So you say, well, they're so inclusive. But they have their exclusive truth, and they hold tight to that. Without that, mm -mm, you can't be a good Buddhist. Uh, Hinduism is unyielding regarding the law of karma and its fundamental tenet of reincarnation. So a good Hindu is going to say, no, no, you got to have reincarnation, and, and you have to have the whole idea of the law of karma going on. Even atheists, track with me here, they claim they have exclusive truth. So the ones who say, who are you to say you, you have this exclusive truth, they claim they have exclusive truth in the fact that they reject that there is no God. That in itself is an exclusive claim. I know something and it is my truth and they reject those who believe in God. I'm going to read an extensive quote. Can you handle it? Can you handle it? Uh, one of the smartest guys on our team, he's uh, probably the best New Testament scholar, or one of the best, okay? His name is N.T. Wright. Um, really smart. In his book, John for Everyone, I want to quote this. Um, I could try to summarize it, but I would not do it justice. Here's what it says. Uh, did we get that up there? Here we go. I'll read it for you, okay? You can read along. If you dethrone Jesus, you enthrone something or someone else instead. So that's what they're saying. Pull Jesus off. He can't be there. The belief that all religions are really the same sounds nice and democratic, though the study of religions quickly shows that just isn't true. What you're really saying, if you claim they're all the same, is that none of them are more than distant echoes, distorted images of reality. You're saying that the divine God is remote and unknowable, and neither Jesus, nor Buddha, nor Moses, nor Krishna gives us direct access to God. What you're really saying is, there really is no God, can't really be. The whole of the early church insisted 
there is one true and living God. The early church was founded on the fact that the Creator, the Savior, the Messiah, was Jesus and Jesus alone. That, that's how Christianity began. They insisted, this is the way, and there is no other way. Now, the sad truth is far too often, um, we've used Jesus being the way and the truth and the life, and there's no other way other than through Jesus Christ. Here's the sad truth. Oftentimes, we use that as a club. Do we not? We use that as, uh, take that, and we hit them with it, and, and we beat people up, uh, and we tell them, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, then you're going to hell, and we almost take delight in telling them, I'm right, you're wrong, look at me. <laughs> I, can I suggest that a big reason why this verse is so hated is because we don't use this verse as Jesus delivered it? Go back up to verse 1. These are words of comfort. These are words of encouragement. Jesus was bringing hope and love and taking care of his disciples. He wasn't passing out a club to beat people up with. He was using this as, as truth that can be held on to and, and enjoyed. So people look at us and they shout at us, you, you don't make the rules, you don't make my rules, I make my own rules. I live my own standards. Can I say this clearly? You ready? Jesus here, the intention here isn't to pronounce judgment on over half the world. That's not the intention of this verse. Rather, and I like how Matt Chandler, Village Church, Dallas, strongly recommend get, get his, on, on the, uh, his podcast, wonderful stuff. Here's what he says. Instead, Jesus isn't judging and beating people up with this. Instead, he's graciously offering an invitation to come home and be with him. That's what, that's what the intent of these verses are. Jesus is saying, you know what, guys? I want you to know, um, I want you to be with me. I want you to be with me and come home, and I want you to enjoy life and my spirit today, present tense. Oh, and by the way, you're going to be with me for all of eternity. Come be with me. Come home. Heaven, eternal life, it's all about living and walking with Jesus. Jesus here says this. You ready? I paved the way to eternal life. I delivered the truth. I am the truth, and I've given you the truth. And I offer you the life. And here's, here's the truth. We get to rest <laughs> because Jesus paid the bill. Jesus paid a bill we could never pay. He did that on the cross. He did that by shedding his blood. He did that by taking our place in the grave. And he did that by early Sunday morning arising from the dead, defeating sin and Satan and death. Jesus paid the bill we could never pay. Now come, come be with me. Trust in me. Trust in what I've done for you. Trust in, in what I've accomplished on your behalf. Let's pray together as we close.
Did you know that Jesus paid the bill for you? Did you know that? Jesus willingly took my place, took your place on the cross. And he knew that our greatest problem in life, it's not social, it's not economic, it's not education, it's, it's not environmental, it's not even political. Our greatest problem in life is sin. And Jesus paid the bill for our sin problem, for your sin problem. Do you know this Jesus? He, he talks about having life, and, and then he says, I'm going to come back and be, you can be with me for all of eternity. Does that sound like I can't wait? Or does that sound like I'm going to go be with like a distant relative that I've only met a time or two? For weeks and months and years at a time? You understand? Jesus said, I, I, I bring life and life to the full. And I want you to come and, and be with me. But I want you to know me today. To walk with me today. To have a daily relationship with me today. You, you see... Coming home to Jesus starts right now. And then it has eternal implications. I suspect some of you are uh, troubled and confused and overwhelmed with life right now. Jesus says, you know what? It's time to trust. It's time to believe. It's time to rely on me through your pain, through your fear, through your worry, through whatever situation you're facing. That's what faith is about. Jesus, you've never failed me yet and you never will. I trust you. I rely on you. I believe in you. And Lord, even as we close, I pray for those who are here in your church today. I pray for those who are watching online who've never said yes to you by faith. Lord, would you speak and nudge and prompt and draw them to yourself? Would you help them to know that you predicted your death, your burial, your resurrection, and then you pulled it off exactly as you predicted? That's someone worthy of believing. That's someone worthy of following. Lord, would you make them hungry to know your son, Jesus, and the new life that he offers? Thanks for John 14, 6. Even the hard, controversial verse. Thanks for speaking even hard truth. And help us to speak that truth to others with love and grace. Pray all these things in Jesus' wonderful name.